Hi, Chris. How are you? Good evening, Rod. Yeah, here we go again. What are we on now? We are episode 42 for the 6th of November, 2022. And it's very wet. It has not stopped raining, I don't think, in the last two days. And I think we still have a hosepipe ban where I live, which feels strangely ironic because it's <laughs> like a swamp in my garden. <laughs> I was out with the dog on, I want to say, Wednesday, and it hailed on us. The poor dog has never looked so confused. Oh, wow. I guess they might not have experienced hail before. She has, but she was she was a puppy then. So it's obviously just not a thing she sees a lot of. Uh, I think I was going to be done for child cruelty today because my son played football and he was very much drowned afterwards and <laughs> very grumpy. I was like, why do I have to do that? Like, yeah, well, go. this is it. At least you can get called off football for a waterlogged pitch. Both my kids did hockey and they only stop hockey on, it's like an AstroTurf type surface if it's icy. Other than that, you play. Yep. Get on with it. So uh, it was good for him. He's character building. Absolutely. I think that's that's definitely the phrase that you want to hear. Character building. Should we go on with the show? Let's get on with the show. So I've got a couple of bits of follow-up. I forgot to mention last week, after my travels to Holland, I did do the thing I said I was going to do. I put an air tag in my main hold luggage just to see how that would go. I got to say, it was pretty cool, actually. I saw it was on the plane with me when I left Cardiff. It was still on the plane with me while I was flying. And then I could track it around the airport when we landed at the other side. And I went with my colleagues that were with me and I pointed at the door and said, it's going to come through there now. And it did. So I thought it was very cool. I think your experience was better than mine. So I put an air tag in the luggage. We were on a 737 Max. Don't know if that makes any difference. I could see that it was out on the tarmac with us. But then when we were on the plane, didn't really see much. And they told us to put our phones in airplane mode and leave it in airplane mode. So I did. I didn't know what you're meant to do on airplanes these days because I haven't really traveled very much. And then when we landed at the other end, I turned on it. It took ages for it to come up and go, yep, yeah, your luggage is with you in, in the country you're in. And the same on the way back. It took ages for it to come up and say, yep, it's there. You know, because I think it was just missing for a little period. But it was great to know when we landed, like, oh, look, our bags are in the same country as us, tick, even though it had only updated 10 minutes ago. But I think yours sounds like you had a lot more accuracy with it. I think it depends whether the baggage handlers have iPhones. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure that is part of it. You need some iPhones or some Apple products in the vicinity for it to do all the, the kind of mesh stuff that it does. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to apologize tonight. If you can hear some bangs and pops, it's still very much post-fireworks at night here. And the area around me is going mental for fireworks. Oh, it's quite quiet where I am, but we may get a couple. Just uh, to be aware, it's not our awful audio recording equipment, it's fireworks. So that was one bit of follow-up. That was quite a good experience. It was quite nice. It was reassuring to know. And I actually knew where what plane we were going to be getting on on the way back from Amsterdam because I could see it was on the other side of the airport from where we were. So we're in for a long bus ride here. Uh, that's kind of cool. I think it was cool and it did give the reassurance. So it was definitely worth the 20 quid I think I paid for an air tag. So I'll, I'll take it. And assuming I fly again soon, I'll use it then. I have put it in my rucksack. I take out and about with me just as a just in case. Yep, fair enough. Good product, air tag. The other bit of follow-up I had to do was I was going to go off and find out, you asked me a question last week, what HDR modes does my TV support? Well, to be specific, I have an LG OLED 65C2 4LA, which is very catchy and rolls off the tongue. So basically, it's a 65-inch C2 model TV. I don't know what the LA part of that is, but anyway, it's one of the better ones to do. I think there's a G2 they do above it these days, which has got a faster processor. It supports Dolby Vision, Dolby Vision IQ, HDR10, and HLG. I don't really know what any of that means. I think they're just sort of the current standard HDR uh, modes. Did you have a look at yours? I was just looking whilst you were talking. So I've got the 
OLED 65, but mine's a B, so mine's obviously a bit older than yours. And then it's a 16 LA, so I've got a B16 LA. I don't know what any of that means, but looking at what yours supports, I think mine supports the same. Mine may not support the Dolby Vision IQ, but I don't know what that is. It definitely supports HR10, the HLG, and the Dolby Vision, though. Sounds and like I, I, I tell a lie, it does support, support Dolby Vision IQ. There you go. So it supports all of the things. The other thing I was going to go and find out is could I get 120 frames per second working on it? And after a bit of jiggery poke created, I actually swapped the cables. I wasn't sure if I'd put an HDMI 2.1 cable on the PS5 or if I'd just put one on my Apple TV. So I swapped the one from the Apple TV on the PS5 and still was only getting 60 frames per second in the menu. And I fired up Gran Turismo. I thought it turned on all the things. It was still only getting 60 frames per second. And then I discovered Gran Turismo doesn't actually support 120 frames per second. So I went and tried another game, in my case, Call of Duty Vanguard. 107 frames per second came up in the menus, and then 119 when I was playing it. Smooth as butter. How about you? Yeah, so I think I've been running this for a little while. I went and checked after you said about it. and I think I had to put gamer mode on on the LG TV, and it said 60 frames per second. I was like, oh, that doesn't sound very good. But when you said try Vanguard, I went into Vanguard, and the animations, like when it loads, I think it was the Activision logo, that's 120 frames per second. And then when I went in the game, it was fluctuating here and there. So, so the variable refresh rates obviously working and things. And I, yeah, I've, I guess I've kind of just been used to it because I've had it for a while. So I had all the cables in place and I had everything turned on, if that makes sense, for probably the last year. So you'd already turned on 120 frames in, in Call of Duty Vanguard, had you? Yeah. Yeah, nice. But I, I guess I hadn't really confirmed it if that makes sense i just assumed it was working but it's, now I'm, i found the button on the tv so i can check it's good to check at the same time i was a little disappointed that gran turismo doesn't support the new hotness i know it does ray tracing and all sorts of things and it hits a solid 60 frames per second but that's not actually very good is it? <laughs> you know that 120 hertz tvs have been around at least three years now it's a high-end console it's a high-end game it took a long time it came out come on sony yeah, I guess I kind of agree with that. Come on, Sony. Let's 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 see a bit more. Gran Turismo is still awesome, and I've played it a lot in the last week, I must confess. Let's save that for gaming a little bit, maybe. Okay. Good. Okay. You got any other follow-up or is that us? No, I'll be honest, I think quite quiet in my house for this week. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a quiet week altogether. There's not that much in the news, although there is a couple of stories to focus on, and I've got a little bit of feedback in media and games as well. So should we move on to the news? Yeah, let's do it. So news, what have we got? We've got new EU law may force sideloading slash message interoperability. Yeah, this is an interesting law, really, and we've hinted at it before. So this is, we're in the discussion stages about what sort of anti-competitive stuff would go on and the fact you could only have one app store, so only use the Google store, only use the app store on, on iPhones, only use Steam, for example, could be seen as having a, a sort of a competitive monopoly in that marketplace, et cetera, et cetera. And it was in proposal phrase, but as of November the 1st, new rules, EU rules came into force that could compel Apple to let users access third-party app stores and permit app sideloading on iPhones and iPads, amongst a number of other changes. And the other thing, which we have definitely talked about before, is that messaging apps should be interoperable as well. So that's quite a lot under one law, really, isn't it? Yeah, there's loads in there. The one that worries me, I think, is more this message interoperability piece, because are we then going to end up with messaging platforms that are the least common denominator and it's just the, the, the least interesting bit of functionality happens on all of them and they can't really differentiate? I don't know, it just seems a bit of an odd one. Well, if you think about this, there's lots of marketplace holders that could be seen to be sort of dominant in this area and you think all right meta whatsapp 
probably is a bit of a dominant force. Facebook themselves are a bit of a dominant force because they have their own store within Facebook where you can boost advertising and all that kind of stuff. Clearly Google are with the Play Store, clearly Apple are with the App Store. And then, you know, the messaging apps is definitely part of that. But but the bigger picture is these large, and I'm sure there is, and the, the law, to be clear, is called the Digital Markets Act is about over a certain size. So if you're a small bit player, the chances are this doesn't apply to you. But the idea is that there should be a more free, even marketplace for all. And I mean, I don't know what your opinion on this is, but that's what the law is saying, is that if you're over a certain size, then you need to allow this interoperability or at least allow rival stores within your sort of digital platform. I, I don't disagree, disagree with the stores piece. I think that could be healthy. Depends how we keep keep everything secure one of the massive benefits of the ipad and the iphone is the what you call it the sandbox way in which apps work and you know the apps have had some level of checking before it's been released so it's been interesting to see how this would play out yeah uh, there's a whole piece here that we we, we've we've sort of glanced past but haven't really sort of dug into in any great way shape manner or form and there's no doubt apple is a monopoly (laughs) oh yeah 100 percent it's, it's their phone, it's their platform. They view every single penny spent on their platforms as actually belonging to them. And any way around, I'm sure the XLC is a form of theft in some way, shape, manner, or form. That, you know, it's our server, we give the developers the tool, it's running on our phone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. While not, not playing fair, really, with everybody else. And you can see with the, you know, the advertising stuff, which we didn't get to last week, about how well that was received with, you know, spinning up their own advertising thing. While... They've been calling Facebook Meta out for the very same sort of policies and procedures on their store that they're, they're trying to push forward with now. And it's like, we've kicked Facebook out. We've marked their app as being, you know, potentially tracking you, potentially doing all these things to you. And then the second, they've got no competition in that. They're putting their own ads into place and doing egregious things like if you're a, a recovering a gambling addict, for example, they're putting ads for, ga- ads for gambling apps alongside, or were, they had to stop it almost immediately. We're putting those ads alongside anti-gambling apps. And you just think, hang on, where are your standards here? So all this, the fact that they are being made or will be made to play fair with other app stores, with other advertising things, with other messaging apps, actually, I don't have that much of a problem with it. No, okay. So I don't have a huge problem with it. I think you're right. Apple looks very poor at the moment because they're starting to do ads. And they've obviously for years gone against advertising companies with a lot of policy changes, which I'm quite happy about, if I'm honest. I don't... But you know, I don't do a lot of social media app, apps. So I think that makes sense. The separate app stores I'm comfortable with, as long as we still have a certain level of, I guess, security, compliance, just that piece of ensuring that you can't just put anything on your device and it will steal data or cause issues. Because part of the reason I like my iPhone and I use my iPad all the time is because I know I can install stuff on it and not break it. Other than if I put a beat to it, maybe. Yeah, you say that, and, and most of the time that's true, but the the sort of ideal of the walled garden Apple's giving us is that you wouldn't get the scam apps, you wouldn't get the porn apps, you wouldn't have the ones sort of trying to harvest money out of your account daily, monthly, weekly, on whatever schedule. And those apps are there. And even when legitimate developers complain about it, that I mean, there's, there's, we're sort of conflating an argument here. There is the There is the app store and what it's meant to sort of guard you from and this kind of thing. And then there is the are you opening yourself out to be the wild west by by not having this and you know android has allowed sideloading of things 
and they have the same problem. Their app store is still full of scammy apps, but I don't think the fact that you can sideload things has actually caused Android a problem. Most unsophisticated users aren't going out looking for APKs on the Android store to install whatever it is. I think if you're sophisticated enough to do it, you should be allowed to do it. You know, at your own risk, enter here, you will cause death and destruction by by sideloading this app. Fine, if you're sophisticated enough to take those risks, get on with it. But I think if Apple offered the choice at this point to say, okay, yeah, we'll allow alternative app stores. Yeah, we'll allow sideloading of things. You've got to click this, tick that, and agree to the death and destruction you're going to cause by allowing it to happen. That would be fine. And they'd get themselves out in front of this sort of anti-competitive behavior that they're about to get sued to hell for. In fact, we've already seen them being sued to hell with the Belgian dating app that we talked about week after week on the, at the start of the podcast. So I, I think they're in a dodgy position at, the point, at this point. Yeah, I guess so. And I wonder if this is why they've actually put a developer mode. If you remember in when we first installed iOS 16 betas this summer, we had to turn on developer mode, I think. So I wonder maybe that's why they're heading down that avenue. Maybe they're starting to lay some groundwork for this, that you will be able to do more if, if you opt in kind of thing. I don't know. And like I say, this advertising thing really makes me wonder if they are seeing this, that they, you know, are they seeing all this legislation coming that's going to about to knock them back and make them lose an awful lot of money? I think. Otherwise, they're... Oh, well, and they're trying to balance the books ahead of time. Yeah, I just, I it almost feels like they're doing a massive cash grab before all this goes away. It, it's 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 not right. <laughs> I just wonder whether they're a company that's so big. And I've seen this much smaller organisations where the right hand's gone right. We're going to stop people tracking. The left hand's going. Well, we need to get on and generate some more service revenue, so we, we do ads. And now, obviously, and the law is kind of the third hand, if, if that made any sense, coming along on top. So I don't know. I just wonder whether there's a couple of things playing out within the organisation that just weren't very well thought out. And I think the yeah, ads thing, they shouldn't have gone anywhere near. I think it's tainted them as a brand. Yeah. So people don't expect it from Apple. And it is disappointing that they're trying to cheapen themselves. They've always been seen as a premium brand, but they are cheapening their brand, I think, by chasing the ad money. Yeah, yeah. It's it, particularly when they've been so against advertising in the past, and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And it's, it's sort of death by a thousand cuts. I think that they have got they had so much developer goodwill. I mean, people like you and I started a podcast because we like Apple so much, for goodness sake. But this sort of ongoing thing where they go, we don't like this. We're going to change that development of this. Stop the side loaning. Don't allow app stores. You know, close down messaging apps. It's it's not a good look for a company that's your privacy is first. You're not a product. All this kind of stuff that they'd put as their sort of competitive advantage over somebody like a Meta or a Google. And then they do these sort of slightly shady things and you think, actually, are they any better? You hope so, because of that sort of historical affection we have for them as a brand. And let's face it, they're a large multi-billion dollar company. We probably shouldn't have any more regard for them than we do Heinz Beans or something like that, really. It's it's just, we, we ascribe to them, I heard it described in another podcast as being like your favourite sports team. You know, you want them to do well because that's, you know, that's who you root for. When they were the when they were the plucky underdogs, it was easier to do so. But now they are the 500-pound gorilla in the room, you know? Everybody likes the underdog story. I think I was, I'm always like that in a film or in a sports event. I want the underdog to win. But and Apple were an underdog for a long time and very much not now, especially in the consumer space. Yeah. Very much. Anyway, to finish off our thought on this, and it's probably worth a more full discussion on at some point when we go through this, but the DMA was proposed by the European Commission in December 2020 and agreed by the European Parliament and the Council in record time, apparently, March, March 22. 
March 2022. It now moves into a six-month implementation phase and will start on, to apply on May the 2nd, 2023. So not that far away, really. And within two months, and at the latest by July 3rd, 2023, potential gatekeepers, of which Apple will be identified as one, will have to inform the Commission of their core platform services if they meet the thresholds established by the DMA. So, you know, by March, we should have a good idea whether Apple's being classified in this, and I'd be very, very surprised if them and Google and Meta and Microsoft and Amazon potentially aren't. I wonder if Steam will come into it. Yeah, Steam's in an interesting position. So for those that don't know, Steam sells largely computer games. It does sell the other app and has done for a large number of years. And it's almost certainly the dominant platform on for computer gaming. But there are alternatives. There is Origin. There is the Microsoft Store. There is the Activision Blizzard Store. But on your Steam Deck, you know, would they have to offer something? What about my Nintendo? What about my PlayStation? Well... Yeah, I mean, PlayStation and Microsoft could definitely be thinking, oh, my Steam Deck, I can install alternative app stores and I can install my own software. So I think there's a get out there. You can put it in desktop mode and I can install the Origin client if I want to. Maybe they're already there then. Maybe it's not an event, but uh, Nintendo would be interested in that. What, what are they going to offer on the Switch and so on? And that, that's the only reason why I'm a little nervous on it is, does this then open us up to lots of other unintended consequences that just haven't been fully thought out? I'm sure it does. Legislation never really solves this kind of thing. What you want is the platform vendor to be open and understanding and try and move in a way that's sort of consistent with our brand ideals and goals. But I don't see any of these companies doing that because, you know, they're trying to satisfy their shareholders' rights, I guess. But at the same time, it just feels it feels particularly nasty because it's Apple and we, we expect better of them, but they'd all do it. If there any of them were in that sort of Google do it, all those, you know, they're being forced to do this behavior as well. But there's there's no escaping from the fact that they would all do it if they were in that dominant position. Agreed, agreed. Should we move on? Let's move on. I think we've said enough on that. So the new Apple TV has come along. They're arriving in people's homes. I haven't ordered one yet. Have you ordered one yet? Are you sticking to what you got for now? Yeah, I don't think I really need one because I've got three of the previous gen and one of the gen before it. So I I think I'm good for Apple TVs at the moment. I don't think they came with enough features. I'm curious now, is it really a lot faster? I doubt it. If if it was, I don't know, if it was a lot quicker, then maybe I'd be a little tempted for my main TV, but I think I'm, I'm comfortable with what I've got. Fair enough. Of those boxes, though, there is a, a new wonderful piece of news that's come along. I think we touched on this last week. When you play something on your Apple TV and it switches into one of the HDR modes, that's why we ended up looking at the HDR modes, it blacks out for a second while it sort of tries to sort out what, what version of the video it's trying to show to you? Apparently, it's called QMS VRR. Is what it's trying to do. It's trying to negotiate the what the what the box can show against what the, the media that you're playing is running at. Anyway, a new software update for the new Apple TV along very soon will stop that happening. It'll do that negotiation quicker, so you won't get the blackout screen between them. So I thought that was quite a good thing to know. I think that is fantastic. But do you know how many TVs support it? Oh, none. Not even for sale yet. So I, like you, thought, oh, I've got a modern telly. That would be fantastic. And then I was just like, oh, no TV support it. Now, whether any of our TVs get any firmware updates is another question. But apparently no TVs are being sold with it now. Whether they would retrospectively port it back, I don't know. But yeah, I think it's great. Like, who, who doesn't want to get rid of those blackouts? A bit like when they put the Apple silicon chips in your Mac and you change resolutions, you don't get the blackouts then. So it makes sense, but disappointing, I think, I'm certainly 
I'm not going to be rushing to upgrade my Apple TV box just yet. No, and it sounds like the kind of thing they could do in software anyway, frankly, if they're able to support that sort of fresh refresh rate anyway. It, the, our existing Apple TVs have got quite fast processes in them. I could see why they'd limit it, you know, back to the mighty dollar again, I suppose. But yeah, there we are. It's a shame no TV support it. Let's hope they get some software updates in. Yeah, agreed. Good. Second piece of news for the Apple TV, and this is for all Apple TVs, is that they've made the Up Next experience worse. I think you're a big fan of the Up Next experience. I am. I haven't really caught up on this one. So let me just open this up. What's this going to do for so- when you look at what's what you're going to watch next when you're watching Apple TV shows, you've got that row underneath it saying, right, you watched Series 4, Episode 5 of this, now you can watch Series 4, Episode 6 of this. And it would just feature it in, in one of the boxes underneath the row of, of, of featured things and of content on the Apple TV. Anyway, they're going to get rid of that and just show a featured thing. Well, I say get rid of. They're going to move it further down the, the, the play order. So you need to go down four or five rows to get it. And... You see other content providers doing this where they don't show you what you've been watching to give you the next episode of it. They show you something else to get you to watch something else in the platform. It's akin to showing the adverts for other things on Apple TV when you start watching Foundation or something. Then, you know, they, sh- they also show an advert for, I don't know, For All Mankind or something like that. So I quite like Up Next. I want to click that. I want to get back, dive back into what I was watching. I think moving this out of the top two rows of what it is you're watching is, again, a really poor move. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. This looks awful. The Up Next bit is fantastic. What? And I use it all the time. I live by my, the Apple TV app, which is, and I barely use Netflix. But yeah, this feels backwards. And again, they're just trying to push more of their own content by looks of it. The, the worrying thing is they don't need to. I think those of us that are paying are, and it's not, it's still not terribly expensive, around six ninety nine for Apple TV Plus. You know, there's not that much on there. You and I are almost able to do a show every week where we talk about the new thing that's pitched up in Apple TV+. Plus. So, you know, if you're keeping up with it, you know what's there. Of course, you're going to get to the point when there's far more there than you can know. But taking away a convenience feature like this, again, with the hope of just surfacing more content and presumably keeping you paying your six ninety nine a month and keeping your services revenue up. Again, it's a bit, I don't like it. It's moving in a direction I'm not very comfortable with, with these, for this. Cheapening the brand cheapening the brand every single time just so they can make a few more cents and it's a damn shame yeah agreed i'm disappointed i did just check though i'm running 16.2 on my apple tv in in my shed and it's not actually appeared on there yet so i'll keep an eye on it yeah it's gonna i think i'm sure it'll pop up at some point anyway hopefully we'll have some good apple news this week and we're not just knocking the company the whole time but i think it's important you highlight these things as they come along agreed so Keeping in media, Netflix, we talked about this a few weeks back, that they were going to have this new ad-supported tier. We'd still have to pay a certain amount, but it would be a couple of pounds cheaper than the the next tier up. You'd have your content resolution dropped a little bit down, and not all of the content on Netflix would be available to you. Anyway, it launched this week and isn't available on Apple TV at launch. That's a bit rubbish, but I'm assuming they know how many people watch Apple TV, and therefore maybe it's a non-event for them, but... You know, what, what, sorry, not watch Apple TV, but watch Netflix on their Apple TV. I should have worded that better. Yeah, I don't think it's just the Apple TV. When, when you sort of dig down into the article and who was affected by it, it wasn't just the Apple TV. There were some Fire TV devices, Android, Chromecasts, Google TV, and games consoles, including the PlayStation 3. I mean, I wonder how many people still use the PlayStation 3 to watch Netflix and things like that. It's still a viable console. Things still work on it. Only 10 years ago, Sony console was the most popular device Netflix had for streaming was the PS3. So that's an interesting fact. Anyway, I think it's unfortunate that your expensive Apple TV 
isn't able to show this. You know, at launch. Yeah, agreed. It's disappointing. I wonder how Netflix manage all their code, like how much shared stuff they do. So when they develop the app, do they have to implement it for iOS devices, Apple TVs, Fire Sticks, whatever random makes a TV they've got out there? Because I think you can get Netflix built into my LG TV. Or I'd, you know what I mean? I wonder how they actually do that with new features. It must make it a nightmare, especially when you're changing something fundamental. Like, oh, you don't need to be logged in and you're going to be able to watch content and we're going to, I guess, dynamically insert ads, which is completely different to how you viewed media on the app before. Yeah, all of these media streaming services have obviously got a bit of a, a legacy problem to deal with when it comes to th- these things. And Netflix, probably worse than most. Lots of boxes come with a Netflix button. You know, my old Sony TV has got a Netflix button on it. My ancient Sony TV, before I got rid of it and, and moved to the LG ones we have now, had a Netflix button. I don't think it actually worked towards the end, but that sort of legacy code base for something that's been around as long as Netflix is is a real problem for them to maintain. I mean, how, how far back do they go with new codecs as they come along and audio formats and all that kind of stuff? You think you'll prioritize, you can look at what's connected to your platform and go, right, this many million people use an Apple TV, this many hundred thousand use a Chromecast, this many use this brand of Fire TV, we'll prioritize the development of that. But new things come to market all the time. You know, Xbox Series X, for example, you know, how many people are going to watch it on that? So you're quite right. I think maintaining that code base of, who watches when and where, and how you prioritize who gets what features. You know, we see the BBC unable to support the iPlayer app on, for 4K on, on the Apple TV. That's a decision they've made, not that, you know, that falls into Apple's purview particularly. They've decided they're not going to support it. So it's on Netflix as a vendor, I think, to prioritize what matters. And clearly Apple TV is not at the top of the list. Yeah, I guess their fragmentation is a bit like Android where you're running on so many different devices. It's a great idea to get your market share, but I guess from a purist developer, you you probably don't want that. You want to run a nice tight code base. So oh, it's not a big shock. And like I said, they're going to know the numbers, how many people are using Apple TV, I guess. Yeah, and Apple will face this too. I mean, now they've got Apple TV app available on Chromecasts, on, on Fire TVs, on Roku boxes, on consoles as well. You know, they're going to have exactly the same problem as now they've decided to get rid of that, you know, up, up next thing. Does that also vanish in your PlayStation 5? You know, how does that get rolled out across the range? I presume it's fundamentally some sort of web view that they call it on and the video stream for somewhere else. But it's a bit of a thought. Yeah, 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 it's interesting, isn't it? I'd like to, sometimes you want to see how the sausage is made. And so it would be super interesting to see inside how they actually manage it for all these different platforms. Definitely, definitely. Anyway, disappointing if you've got an Apple TV and you were hoping to jump on the, the cheaper Netflix tier, you're out of luck for the moment. True. Right, next up, I just thought we'd briefly cover two Apple execs that left and what they're doing today because they were both in the news last week. So we, first up, we've got Tony Fidel, who is rumored to be the godfather of the iPod. That seems to be his title. He brought the iPod to fruition, worked a lot in consumer electronics, basically taking off-the-shelf hardware components and bringing us the iPod, and then latterly left Apple and set up Nest. If anybody's got a Nest thermostat, it was his company that made that. He, he again, grandfathered the Nest and various other pieces before it got bought and merged in with Google, stayed at Google for a period, and then departed. Um, I was reading a book that I still haven't read, but I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to it. And um, last week, he joined the board of Arm, which I just thought was interesting. So Arm is the company based here in the UK, in Cambridgeshire, was going to get sold to NVIDIA, but that got kiboshed by the Competitions and Markets Authority, I believe. And then they've now put Tony Fidel on their board, which I thought was a bit odd, because whilst Arm provides chips to go in consumer products, they don't actually make any products themselves. And actually, they make their 
revenues through largely licensing models. And I also bang on about the Decoder podcast. I think they had the CEO of Arm on on there quite recently, and they had Intel too, which were really good listens. But I just thought it was odd they've got a consumer electronics guy on the pod on the board of directors for a company that makes chips that goes in stuff. But I can see their chips obviously are fundamental to a lot of consumer products, but that's normally they license the instruction set to Apple. Apple then make their SOC, so system on a chip, i.e. the, the chip you've got in your iPhone, it's got licensed instructions to, from ARM on it. So I just thought it was interesting that they went for Tony Fidel. Apparently it's them giving themselves up to take, take them public. So whether it's something that the shareholders will see value in because his name's got a cachet attached to it, I don't know. But that's my two cents. Yeah, just because he built consumer hardware, it doesn't sort of invalidate him. He's obviously come from a corporate background in some way, shape, or form. Although I agree with you, more known as a designer of, of something than, you know, a deep down in the weeds hardware guy. He obviously has the skills to negotiate in these kinds of markets and all the rest of it. And, and ARM is an interesting company, like you say, making small chips for things like that. But fundamentally what they do is they license the technology onto others. Apple being one and, you know, servers and all sorts of things are increasingly relying on ARM chips. It, it, they're eating Intel's and AMD's lunch in, in that sort of area for those sort of dedicated task computing platforms. And again, your iPad and my Mac are based on, are fundamentally based on an ARM design which Apple have sprinkled their own secret sauce on fundamentally to make it run better with Swift, Swift and Objective-C and the instruction sets that Apple computers like to use more than anything else. But it's an ARM design. Yeah, interesting. I mean, And Tony says in one of the articles that we've linked to, he couldn't have built the iPod, iPhone, Nest, or, or any of these without ARM. And we'll ensure every future builder is enabled by this essential company. So, I mean, it's a bit of a glib corporate statement, that. But this, this probably grains the truth in that, that he has depended on ARM chips for quite a lot of his career. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't get that the chips are probably giving some success, I guess, because they've they've enabled some of the products he's designed. I saw it was an odd fit for the board of a company that licensed their instruction set rather than a board that sells consumer devices, if that makes sense, because that, that's his expertise. But Sailor V is great for him, and hopefully it's good for ARM, and obviously we all want to see ARM succeed. I was a little concerned when NVIDIA were going to buy them, because ARM are critical to everything we're doing, so... I think it's good the way it's turned out, I guess. So it'd be interesting to see where it goes. Yeah, I think competition is good, particularly in chips. And you could see when AMD rose to the fore again a few years back in both graph in GPUs and CPUs, Intel got pushed and Intel got better. So I think having ARM, having NVIDIA, having Intel, they're going to push each other to make better and better chips. And that can only be a good thing in our never-ending capitalist and corporate society that, you know, with disposable culture. But that's that that may be a topic for another another podcast, I think. But fundamentally, the competition is good to make us have better chips in our, not our computers, but our devices these days to make them more compatible, to get more radios in, to make them run faster, more efficiently, more power power efficiently, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I can only... I definitely agree. Competition is, is fantastic because you get lazy when, when you're at the top, don't you? So, so it needs to happen. But I thought it was an interesting fit for for their company and then next up i put in the show notes johnny ive there was an article in the wall street journal which i thought might be interesting but seems to spend three quarters of it just recapping his life which most people probably know and annoying i didn't like the photo either at the top of the article which was a bit of an out of focus shot of him with his glasses at a jaunty angle which i don't know for me it just didn't work i, I think they were trying to go for something clever but i didn't think it quite work but anyway just, just interesting they're just talking about his design practice and, and some of the staff he's got and saying how how they've got a permanent member of the team who's just a writer who you know tries to put into words the designs that they do and explain a little bit about how he works and that i was reading about the airbnb piece because his company love from do a lot of work for airbnb 
and they've given airbnb their client like a notebook from johnny of his ideas and, and things and he's not only just getting involved in the design and the branding but also words they use on their website and how you search and things so it's, it's just quite interesting how their role is i think it's quite a high level conceptual role that, that love from have and i do wonder where this ties into us talking i think it was last week or the week before about evan's hanky leaving apple i wonder if she's going to love from because apparently there are a lot of ex-apple people at, at this agency of his well, I mean, he's an immensely influential designer, isn't he? And he's he's quite honest about what his influences were as well. You know, Dieter Ram, Dieter Ram, yeah, Dieter Ram, who for the Braun Razor and, and all those kinds of things and those sort of devices he he had to begin with, and he took that and injected it into things like the iMac and the iPod and a generation of lap, laptop computers, iBooks, MacBook Pros, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He sort of pushed the designs forward in such a way, and it's his influence on Apple and his industrial design that made made them have such an impact if you think back to the impact the imac had in those adverts you know the internet the computer for the internet all those kinds of things three steps plug it in go and you're up and running it's almost as much that as it is the ipod that sort of really sort of catapulted them back into the public public imagination so it's always interesting to see what i've did does next or what any of these ex-apple executives who are around around the jobs era do next I saw an article this month about Scott Forstall and what's he done. It's 10 years since he's left Apple, for example. So what what did they do next? And some of them, like Johnny Ive, have you know, continued to have an influence in the market. They're doing things with Airbnb, like you say. And it's a very long article, and I will read it after the podcast, but I'd encourage others to do so too. But if there's other, like Evans Hankey, exec, ex-executives of Apple going there, well, what's going on there then? Are they? they, they I presume there's all sorts of non-compete agreements in place. They can't go into competition against Apple or, or other agencies they've worked for. So that's interesting. But I guess it's the opportunity to work on other design products projects and what have you even like the, the airbnb thing i guess if you're a prolific designer like johnny ive that actually maybe you're bored of doing consumer electronics and you want to actually do do different things like design apple park as i think we discussed before but one interesting comment they did make in the article is there are very few designers in the modern era that have touched so many different people with their designs and they're probably right i mean if you think apple has a billion active iphone users i believe it was his designs are in their hands if that makes sense and so he has and his team influenced many more people than probably any other designer in recent times. Yeah, it's a fair point. He's uh, he certainly put a lot of iconic products in people's hands for a certain amount of money. So, although I would say that the designs have actually got better since he left, I don't disagree with that I think they were great in the middle. I think they went went a little off the boil for a period, and and now they're back to where they need to be. But also, not just him, but him and his design team have help their whole tech space get think more better about design and i think a lot a lot of other brands produce better products i think Dow would have up their game hp to try and compete they're not perfect they're not as good but clearly i think they are better because of apple and because apple have helped with the simplicity piece not having stickers on your new laptop those kinds of things have driven the others to do the same especially samsung they especially in the early days they took a lot from them and now i think samsung are also driving the, the space forward yeah, it's fair. I mean, Steve Jobs himself used to say great art is steel. So obviously one thing can knock on the other. And there, there were other great designers around the same time making industrial designs. Philip Stark is someone I think about who 
you know, had some phenomenal designs in things like salt and pepper shakers and orange squeezers and all sorts of stuff. But then that knocked onto motorbikes. And you think people like Pininfarina, who are primarily known for the automotive designs, actually go on and do a thing. So it's if you get somebody as influential as I've who had such iconic designs, they can transcend just consumer electronics. So it's always interesting to see what they do next. And, you know, more power to them, really. Well done. Definitely. Should we move on? Moving on. This is a story that just popped today as we record this on Sunday evening in the UK. That Apple may be getting rid of the hey before Siri. So so I don't set off people's devices and things. You used to say hey dingus. That's what activates it. But now you may just be able to say Siri. Any thoughts on this? I think it's no brainer. I think it's a unique enough name, especially in the UK. I think it, it, it kind of makes sense. It's going to make it even harder to not activate the thing. And frankly, most of the time it activates I don't want it to activate now. Making it even easier to activate? I don't know how happy I am about that. I'm all right with it because I largely turn it off and I have to push a button anyway. Yeah, I quite often shout hey dingus in at the air to get it to set a timer for my poached eggs in the morning or something though. So I, I, yeah, I get it. It is a fairly unique word. I'd rather they spent their engineering efforts making it better than making it easier to call though. Completely agree. And it's the same though in my car. So I have a BMW and you go, hey, BMW. And apparently we can do stuff. So I said, hey, BMW, open the sunroof. He said, I can't do that. And so I, the second command was, hey, BMW, turn on the heat steering wheel. I can't do that. And then I just, I just disabled it at that point. Because I was like, well, that's the only two things I, I think I want you to do for me. And it couldn't do either of them. Yeah, the Tesla one, you need to hold a button. It just can't be summoned out of the air. So you need to hold the right thumb wheel down. And then you tell it what you want it to do. And I got to say, it's about 80% good. You can tell it to do things like open the charge port you know, set heating to this thing, set the fan speed to be whatever. I I, I have good success with it. Eight or ten times it does what I want it to. I think the problem I have with it, especially in the car, is I'm usually listening to something like a podcast, an audiobook, some music. And I don't want to interrupt it, so I'd probably rather find the button. Same, my wife often sends me a text through Siri in the in the car. I don't usually respond to them because I'm driving and I want to listen to something. So, I don't know, for me, audio doesn't, it doesn't make much much difference to me in the car. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I went around turning it off, even when I still had Alexa and Google devices. For example, my Sonos speaker has, I can pick, I could choose which one I wanted to activate. I turned all that off. I don't want all that going on. I can pick what I want off my phone. I can airplay to it. Generally, I just want it to be a speaker from the TV at this point. I don't want it to, I don't want to shout into the air anymore. The novelty has gone off shouting into the air and asking it to play something in most cases. So yeah, I'm kind of with you there. Agreed. I think that's it for news and rumours, unless there's a story I've missed. I'm sure there's something we've missed, but no, I agree. I think they were the interesting ones. They were. Okay, how have you done with media this week? Have you had a chance to watch many things? Only a very small amount of Taskmaster, believe it or not. So I'm still still there, I'm still on season six, so I have slowed somewhat. I did watch a little bit of Seven, I must say, that I bought on iTunes years ago, and it's the 4K version. Man, that looks good. It's an old film now. I mean, what was it? Mid mid to late 90s. The 4K version just looks good. It, it's still not as good as what you'd get today that's obviously more natively 4K, but some old films do do upscale well, I think. Yeah, they do, and that is a good film. I think we mentioned that recently. I watched it with my family when I was away in Scotland. So they hadn't seen it before. One of them quite likes a horror film. One of them assuredly doesn't like a horror film. But both of them really enjoyed Seven. You know, the quality of the acting is very well. The screenwriting is good. The, the cinematography is excellent. So I'm not surprised it looks pretty good in 4K. And quite often, 
even films of that era were filmed using the best cameras they possibly can at that point. And I'm sure, you know, five, six years ago, but red cameras or various, you know, ultra HD cameras would have been put into use. So it's 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 interesting that upscaled so well. And I agreed. And it's filmed by David, well, it's not filmed by, it's directed by David Fincher and he, he does quality work. So I don't like a horror film either, but I'm comfortable to watch that one. It's pretty iconic, that one as well. Yep, good. I watched a new TV show on the BBC last week. I don't know if you saw this advertised. It was called SAS Rogue Heroes. It's written by Stephen Knight, who's the same guy who did Peaky Blinders. I didn't even actually know it was coming on until I came at the end of Top Gear last week, which is also new last week. And there it was. You look shocked, Chris. Was Top Gear out last week? Top Gear came on last week. Man, I've got two. There's one on tonight, so I'm going to have two to watch. Awesome. (laughs) Lucky you, and it's a special as well. Okay. Even better. So yeah, SAS Rogue Heroes by uh, the Peaky Blinders guy. It is a bit like the Peaky Blinders go to war. I've never seen Peaky Blinders. Well, I'm disappointed. Don't pull, don't pull that face. I'm disappointed. What can I say? I believe I'm going to enjoy it. I know what happens at the end because I think I've seen it on that show on Channel 4 where they watch TV and that you watch them watching TV. Gogglebox. Thank you, Gogglebox. The memory escaped me. Fantastic name. I've got loads of stuff to watch, but I'm committed to Taskmaster now. Well, that's fair enough. Of of the two, I'd say Taskmaster is more important. But Peaky Blinders has its moments, and it has the most incredible cast. Killian Murphy is phenomenal in it, and you know people appear in it like Tom Hardy that you know you're just not expecting to. All of a sudden, they, they don't have the most massive parts, but they have an impact on those parts. Anyway, there's a lot of quite up to date music for sort of a nineteen. 19- 20s to 1940s set TV shows. A lot of Nick Cave, which makes me like it. A bit of Polly Harvey as well, so also very good. But anyway, there's some swearing, drinking and violence, and actually that's perfect for a story about the SAS, the, the, the sort of genesis, when they were getting started in the in the desert in World War II. It's got Alfie Allen in it, it's got if you watch Sex Education on, on Netflix it's got Adam Groff, I forget the name of the actor but the character is Adam Groff. Phenomenal. And it really is just like the Peaky Blinders go to war with some of the historical true details mixed in there too. I'd say it's well worth a watch BBC One. Okay, I'll see what I can do, but I'm making zero promises. Well, the trailer is in the show notes, so if anybody does have access to the iPlayer or, or, or fancy sort of a good rip-roaring wartime mostly true story, certainly the first episode was good. I'll I'll catch up on the rest of myself, but I enjoy, thoroughly enjoyed that, as I thoroughly enjoyed Top Gear last week, actually. Yeah, okay, okay. I'll get to Top Gear. I might save that to have with the children this week. They'll enjoy that. Good. So that's worth watching. I will also say I continue to watch Andor, which is just phenomenal. It just gets better and better and better. And I think the thing that's most impressive about it, and I've mentioned the lack of lightsabers and force users and all the rest of it, is how terrifying the Empire could be without any of this other stuff. Just sort of them, that sort of right-wing fascist state controlling everything that you do and everything that you read and everything that you see. And it's allegories for today and some of our some of our politics around the world as they go on. It's just, it's phenomenally well. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that, but I haven't watched any more. I'm just drowning over here in new media. You get too much to watch. And then just to throw into that, I saw advertised the other day a new film, so you've got a chance of watching it because it's a film, Chris, that's coming to Apple TV+. Plus. It's called Causeway. It has Brian Tyree Henry and Jennifer Lawrence in it. Trailer looks interesting. She's a war veteran, obviously dealing with some PTSD. And I don't know much more about it than that, other than it looks like a stellar performance from both of them. It looks quite dramatic and interesting, more of a sort of thought-provoking thing than an action thriller. But uh, yeah, it looked interesting. Yeah, and you said it's coming. It's actually out now. It's I've seen the trailer. I thought I thought it good. So uh, I will I will watch that when I get a minute. Fair enough. You had a chance to catch anything else? No. 
The new season of Taskmaster is good as well, though. I haven't caught up on that either. I'm still on season six. I've got a long way to go, I think. You've got a long way to go. Anyway, it's nice to have all these quality things to watch in front of you. I've not even caught up on Bake Off yet. I'm up to date on Bake Off. It's bad days for me. My children are up to date. You're up to date, but I am not. You just got to make the efforts. You just got to do it. Too many away days at the moment. Anyway, should we move on? Moving on. And I suspect this section may be more about me than you as well this week, which is fair enough. It can't, you know, it can't be you all weeks. The first story I thought was an interesting one in light of what we were talking about last week with people cutting their subscription revenues and things like that. So we know that it's happened to Apple, that services have taken a dive. I thought it was interesting that there's a story this week about PlayStation Plus losing subscribers, and not just a couple. They've lost 1.9 million subscribers since the service relaunched. I'm not surprised. I just don't think. I think they've relaunched it tick, but it's just not as good, is it? It's, they're not really playing in the same league as the others. No, and I think they've made it worse <laughs> in some ways, because when there was only one option, which you paid, and I forget how much it was, let's pick a number out there, £70 a year, I think it was. It was around that sort of region. For that, you got your two to three games a month. You might get one PS5, one, one PS4, one at least, and then another that might be in the middle there some way, shape, manner, or form. It should have been a AAA title at some point, and you just rolled through like that. And now they've made it complicated. In fact, I don't even know what all the offers are, but I know that there is a sort of background service where you get... A, a decent selection of AAA games, not the most up-to-date AAA games, but from about six months ago, of which there's a, a wide range. And then this one's older from the service as well. And that's quite a lot more money. And I think there's two levels. Anyway, by allowing that, I feel they've made the games that are being offered to those of us who've remained on the previous subscription worse. I don't see the quality coming through for, you know, that you were seeing. I think this month's are a Harry Potter Lego reissue from several years ago. And a couple of other things. Neo, I think, is the other one. But consistently, they're not the games that we were seeing at that sort of level before. You would get an Uncharted before. You'd get other things from, you know, we might have had Spider-Man, for example, Miles Morales or something like that by now. And that's not happening because it's distracted by this. And obviously, it's not just you and I feel like this. If they've lost almost 2 million subscribers in this period since it's launched, which is less than six months ago, this isn't a good look. No, I'd agree with that. And you talk about it just made me fire up the app because I keep forgetting to even go to the PlayStation Plus tab and see what free games I might get. So I think it has got worse. I think I'm only on there so we can do a bit of online gaming. Yeah, it's just not fantastic. The, the games that are coming have been disappointing. I did download for my son, though, the Micro Machines game because I thought he might like that and it was free. But it was an old PS4 game. So I just don't think they're in the same league as what Xbox are doing, to be frank. It is interesting, though, when you sort of flick through this a little bit, and they're talking about the fall from 47.3 million subscribers to 45.4 million. So they've lost those 2 million subscribers, and this could be the beginning of something. And you and I both know that the Xbox offer is better. So Games Pass only has 25 million subscribers. So this is where we get the poor little Microsoft thing, where they're, you know, they're not seen to be doing as well in the market as, as Sony, for example. But I would say you're quite right in sort of the feeling around these things. Games Pass feels very energized. They've got lots of titles in there. It's not very expensive. You know, it's a tenner a month or something like that. You get a huge amount of AAA games with new games that are only just put on sale, appearing in it day on release. Whereas this Sony thing is old and tired. And if you and I, as longtime PlayStation subscribers, are going, well, I don't really feel anything for this now. I think they've kind of lost, to use a buzzword, an old buzzword, they've lost the zeitgeist, really. I think... I would encourage people, if they were not bothered about 4K gaming and they'd wanted a good back catalogue, just buy an Xbox. You know, get the Games Pass and do it. I don't think it's compelling enough for Sony. 
Agreed. I definitely agree with that. I think the other thing as well is if you mention PlayStation Plus to people, people turn their nose up at it. You mention Xbox Pass, people are like, yes, it's fantastic. It's universally you know, acknowledged that it's fantastic. Yeah, and, and that's that's disappointing. And I would say I've, I've fired up the Xbox a lot more recently than I have the PlayStation, despite the fact that PlayStation is awesome, 4K, 120 frames per second, blah, blah. It's three times as expensive. I go hold of the Xbox a lot more easily. It, it's reliable. It turns on and off, and I've got that huge back catalog of games. And frankly, I think if I was going to get rid of one of the services, I'd get rid of the Sony one. Yeah, the Sony one does not add anything to me. If I'm honest, I could drop it tomorrow. I wouldn't even notice. It's a bit of a shame, that, isn't it? It is, because I'm a big fan of my PlayStation. I love it. I use it all the time. I don't have an Xbox. So, yeah, it's disappointing. Sad days, but your Nintendo's still good, right? Awesome. And how's your play date? Still good, but I just don't have the time at the moment to play on either my Switch or that. I've been playing GT7. I've kind of picked Gran Turismo at the moment, just because just my son's been playing it. It's got me back into it a little bit. Fair enough. I have been on my Steam Deck, but more on that in a minute. Anyway, I thought that was an interesting article, that, and none of this stuff's going to get any easier with the cost of living crisis beginning to sort of really hit people so many times. Yeah, subscriptions have got to be the first thing people start dropping. Definitely. Anyway, speaking of subscriptions, I'm going to talk about an iOS game for a second. It's not just iOS, but I think the most obvious place to get it is iOS, and that's Marvel Snap. Have you heard of Marvel Snap? No. So if you like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you like the comics or anything, Marvel released a card game, effectively. One of these sort of battle games where you play somebody online, you put some cards down, you score more in your round than the other one, and you win the game. There's horse armor type stuff. You can get new decks and new graphics for the decks that you build and different characters, depending on what's going on. There's a season pass. I think it's about £3.50 on the App Store for a season pass, which you can get better drawn cards or various other sort of well done things like anyway it's free to download it's free to play you don't have to pay for the season pass and you can still have a couple of games it's really slick i gotta say the little uh, tutorial to get you into how to play it is very well done it's quite uh it's visually appealing i think they're very well drawn unsurprisingly they've got a lot of art they can call upon marvel to do this kind of stuff for the various characters and things involved i was really impressed with it and i'd say if you're looking for a little it's not a replacement for threes, Chris, but I think if you were just looking for a sort of quick card battler type game or or just something to entertain you for five minutes, the, the matchmaking is really fast. It's quite a simple mechanic to get your hand on and surprisingly deep. It's not Slay the Spire either, but worth a look, I think, if you're looking for a little thing. Sounds a bit like Magic the Gathering kind of thing, which I don't know much about, but from what I've heard, it sounds akin to that. Yeah, you're probably quite close with Magic the Gathering, but it's a lot less technical and involved from that. You know, you have a, a more limited deck of cards to choose from. The mechanic is quite simplistic. There's only three zones to play the cards in. I'd, I'd encourage you to download it and have a quick look, really, because I think you quite like it. Okay, I'll take a look. It's also available on Steam and Google Play. If you are, you do want to try this on a different device, you can play it on your PC or you can play it on your Android phone. But it's a really nice implementation on iOS, and I presume iPadOS. I didn't, I didn't try on iPad. I've only had it on my phone. Okay, I'll put it on my list of things to attempt this week. I thought it'd be interesting for me to recommend an iOS game anyway. Yeah, it's a fair point, fair point. So I have two other games, both of which run beautifully in my Steam Deck, but of course on the other platforms that I have as well. And I was conscious, I'd been talking a lot about first-person shooters, so I thought I'd try and expand my horizons a little bit and not make the listeners have to listen to me banging on about Call of Duty, which I've been playing a little bit this week as well. So I have two to recommend. Well, one to recommend and one to think about, if you like that kind of thing. The first one is called Cult of the Lamb, which 
I'm going to struggle to do justice to the description of Cult of the Lamb, which I suppose I'd call a dungeon crawler mixed with a Satanist simulator. <laughs> it's probably the easiest way to describe it. I don't know what your reaction to that would be. That seems an interesting mix, if I'm honest. I'm just clicking on the link to have a look because I don't know what this game is. I'm still not sure looking at the screen grabs, I understand what this game is. So it's a bit like The Sims in one side of it. Half of the game is you've got to build up your cult. You're the leader of a cult. You're a lamb who was met, who was sacrificed to some mystical beastie or other. It's all very fictionalized. It's got quite a nice art style. 50% of it is building up your cult. You've got to get your guys to build a village. You've got to get them to feed themselves, pick up their poo, all that kind of stuff on one side of it. It's very animated. They're all animals. They're extremely cute. The violence is all very cartoony within it. And then the other side of it is it's a dungeon crawler. So whatever you manage to do on that side, you can take better weapons back into the dungeon. You can beat the other sort of gribbly monsters in the game, which are, again, also quite cute. Uh, sound effects are very good. And you just use one to boost the other thing. I think it was twelve ninety nine on Steam when I bought it or something like that. I was just looking for some smaller games that would work quite well on my Steam Deck. It fits the bill nicely. It's been very well reviewed. I'm sure it'll be up there in the games of the year lists when they start to come out in a couple of months. Well, a couple of weeks time at this point. If you're looking for something a little bit different with a real tongue-in-cheek sense of humour, this is definitely that. It's it's really quite a nice little game. I don't know what to say if I'm honest. Your synopsis of it, the art style, it just looks an odd game if I'm brutally honest. It is an odd game, but I think it's deliberately meant to be an odd game. They've tried to do something a bit different, a bit indie, and the publisher is Devolver Digital, who always do this kind of stuff. So they've got a whole sequence of games going back wherever, where they have sort of pushed the edges of not what's acceptable, but just what's... Well, maybe it is what's acceptable, frankly, because I can't think of a better way of doing it. But, you know, what the norms of gaming are, how far can you push that? Can you push it just a little bit further? And some of that will be conscious to sort of offend people and get them to look at it in the same way GTA did back in the day, if you think how controversial that was when it was released. They're kind of going there with that, this bit. But I think the core gameplay mechanic is actually quite good. Yeah, no, fair enough. And that's sometimes what you need, isn't it? Is that, is that, has it got the right sticky gameplay mechanic? That's what you want to see, isn't it? Yeah, so it's interesting. But then a game that's definitely got the right sticky gameplay mechanic for me is the second recommendation, and that's Vampire Survivors. So another game I bought on Steam, if it was $3.99. So I wasn't expecting much for $3.99, I've got to be honest. I mean, that's iOS App Store pricing for a game, not you know normally something that I'd buy off Steam. It's been in early access. It's been released on Steam two days ago, I think. So I bought it for that price. It looks very 8-bit. It's got a great soundtrack. The mechanic is, again, a little bit odd. It has got that sort of 8-bit world style to it. It works on Mac as well. This It's not just a PC game, as does Cult of the Lamb. It works just as well on Mac as it does on a PC and Linux, as well as the Steam Deck. In this one, you are being chased by vampires that get progressively harder. The point of the game is just to stay alive as long as you can. There's a timer at the top of the screen that counts up. You shoot a weapon on a set, predetermined set, so you just fire every... 1.5 seconds or something like that, whatever your character's weapon has, as you kill the beasties around you that are continually chasing you in like a gauntlet type way. You know, it's an open world, but you walk around the world with walls and things around you. Your weapon will go off. You kill a certain number of them as they die. They drop money. As you pick up the money, you can upgrade your weapons. You can get different weapons until you become more and more difficult to kill and you can kill more of them in one shot but the time as the timer goes on, they get harder and bigger and more of them and until there's literally thousands of sprites on the screen at any one time trying to get you it's a real sort of it's quite impressive game for what they do the mechanic is quite simple but i found it quite addictive fair enough we've 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 all got our niches i guess that's been my two this week anyway and at least i haven't talked about college 
And I haven't talked about threes, which I've played quite a bit this week. But we have mentioned them. I'm going to share an anecdote before we move on to the main show. And that is my youngest daughter's boyfriend came around the other day. I was sitting playing Slay the Spire on my iPad. He looked over my shoulder and said, what's that? I said, oh, that's Slay the Spire. You do this. He went home and bought it and is now boring my daughter senseless with a Slay the Spire chat. So another one converted. Go me. Tick. I'm very pleased about that. If I've achieved nothing else this week, I think sharing the the gift that is Slay the Spire with other people is definitely a good thing. We've all got the things we want to achieve in life, so well done. <laughs> I'm very pleased. Anyway, good. Anything else in gaming? Oh, I've played very little. Apologies. I need to up my game, as it were. Ah, ha, ha. Quite pleased with that one. Well, you should be. Good. Main Main show. So I thought we should just relatively briefly talk about Twitter and the shenanigans that's going on there because I think it's very much in our world. Um, I'm not a prolific Twitter person. I don't tweet, but I use it to consume news and I'm just interested to see what's going on with it. I do very little of social media though, to be fair, but it's just been a bit of a roller coaster, hasn't it? So Twitter obviously was acquired by Elon Musk last week. Everybody must have heard about it. It was $44 billion, which is a crazy price. It feels like... Elon said some silly things about buying it and then has ended up buying it and possibly didn't want it because he tried to get out of the deal. For whatever reason, though, it then went through. He's now got it and he's turned up, potentially laid off the whole, he's laid off the whole board and then lots and lots of employees in a not a great way. And then they're also rolling out Twitter Blue partially at the moment and doing various app updates. It seems to be trying to move very quickly for what is probably quite a big slow moving company and elon's trying to make it a little bit more dynamic so they bought the company the board's gone elon's the only director at the moment they brought in some tesla engineers like software engineers to look at it which seems a bit odd that you'd bring engineers out of another company into this company to, to do work and then in the same time they've apparently laid loads of people off but i don't think we've had numbers of how many people have been laid off there's rumored that they might head towards 50 percent of the company and they had circa seven thousand staff which feels like a lot um so there's then that discussion of how do they get big and bloated and if they are gonna reduce headcount is letting them all go by just disabling their access to the systems the right way of doing it. it's a horrible way and then in turn have they broken the laws by doing this because here in the UK, if you're letting more than 20 people go or be made redundant, you need to engage with them and have a conversation and a consultation. And obviously, they clearly haven't done that because they've moved within days of doing this. So, yeah, not good PR for the platform. Apparently, they've lost lots of members as well, or there's certainly a lot of talk about people leaving. So it's just, just there's a lot, lot to take on board here for what is a short space of time. What do you think? Yeah, there is an awful lot there, isn't there? So I've, I think I've been on Twitter at least 10 years, maybe closer to 12, I think. I was on the platform so early that if you followed Steve, oh God, Stephen Fry back in the day, he'd follow you back. So Stephen Fry was one of my followers. That's how long I've been on Twitter. I quite like that nature of it. I like the fact you could follow individuals and get that sort of response. Well, I am coming to the Elon Musk side of it. I'm just sort of giving a little bit of background of what I use it for. So I quite like that sort of interaction with people, the fact you could at a celebrity or somebody from a coding world or something like that. And the chances are you'd get a reply for them, for example. You know, I remember buying some ATP merchandise and taking a picture of, of when it arrived and John Syracuse went, you know, I got a thumbs up from John Syracuse and stuff like that. It's quite, you know, it's quite good for your ego, isn't it? That you can get in touch with people that you hold in some esteem or regard or something like that. And I've had similar things from you know, James Thompson and other developers of PCALC and all the rest of it. So I quite like Twitter for, for its immediacy that you can carry out a conversation. So personally, I quite like that. I, 
used it as a news source for things. So, for example, when Michael Jackson died, I found out about that on Twitter. You know, before I found out on the mainstream news at the time, I was in Spain at that point, and you get that kind of push update around major world events that are happening. And I don't think there's any other platform quite like that, certainly at that point, that, that could do something like that. So that was my personal use. Then there's the corporate use, and we use it a little bit in this podcast, although I'm quite bad at doing it these days, of when your, your episodes are being recorded and released and all that kind of stuff. But in the day job, when we're talking about research, to get in touch with the researchers particularly, if we're attending an event or we've got a new piece of paper in a journal or something like that, then Twitter is the place I'd turn to for that. And it's quite a good way of professionals getting a buzz about something. So, so it has all these uses. Core to that is the trust in the platform. And I think this is where we get back to Elon is Elon almost bought the company, it seemed to me, in a whim that he felt there were certain viewpoints weren't being represented or people were being barred from the platform. And I think we're thinking Donald Trump at this point and others of that ilk who had been kicked off the platform eventually. Arguably, they should have been kicked off a long way before and moderation is part of this as well. It got up Elon's nose. Elon threatened to buy it. Elon tried to buy it. As you hinted at, Elon then decided he didn't want it because of various aspects of the platform he hadn't considered, like the number of bots you know, and, and general nastiness that goes on within, within the underbelly of Twitter and tried to back out of it. There was court cases and he's ended up he's having to buy it. And like you say, within, what is it now, 10 days of Elon being on board, we've got these layoffs. I did read a thing about the layoffs. It's seven and a half thousand employees. They're roughly fired. 50% of them is the rumor. We don't have a definite thing on this. That the way they decided who they were going to fire is they looked at all the code that had been checked in by the employees, ordered them by the amount of code that had been checked in, and those that had checked in the least were fired. We all know that with code, quantity doesn't necessarily mean quality. It's a very unique measure of doing it. So you could be left with just all the... And no offense to anybody out there, but all the all the programmers that have written long routines that could have been simplified, for example. But it's a very I guess if you if you're trying to pick an arbitrary measure and you want to move quickly, you've got to pick something. But that that doesn't seem fantastic to me. It's it's the worst possible measure. What if it's just lines of code documenting someone else's work? You know, if you're a security developer, you might only write two lines of code a day as you try and unpick the mess that's something else that's going on. So it's po- the worst possible metric of all they could have chosen, if it's true. What about all the non-coders? Because surely an organization of that size has a fair bunch of admin managers. I don't write any code for my organization, but my teams do. It's a bit like choosing a surgeon who does the most operations. It doesn't mean there's any good at him. He might or she might just rush them through. So it's a very interesting way of doing it. Yeah, what is their post-operative survival rate? That's probably more important than how many they do. So on that, Agreed. on that, there's there's a link in the show notes to Jack, Jack, Jack Dorsey, who's one of the founders of the company, who takes responsibility for having hired all these people in the first place. But I'm with you. The people he's laying off include sort of corporate social responsibility, include ethics, include vetting people that's coming along. All that aspect of the company that I'd say for a platform like Twitter is vital. And it's that I think that's unsettled advertisers. So General Mills, for example, has cut their advertising. General Motors has cut their advertising. Others have as well. So considering an advertising company is going to spend an awful lot more than his his planned goal for Twitter Blue. So Twitter Blue is your verification tick. You're a trusted individual. You know, you are who you say you are. You are Stephen Fry or whoever it is. So you get that. You pay $8 a month now and you'll get the blue tick. So that immediately devalues it because I would be very surprised if your average user is going to pay $8 a month. We've just been talking about subscription revenue falling. This isn't a guaranteed way for that. And even all the $8 a month probably don't equate to what 
General Mills spend on advertising Cheerios on Twitter. So I think there's an immediate imbalance. He's not going to correct his $4 million loss a day, allegedly, by firing half of the people and losing the advertising spend. Yeah, it seems a very knee-jerk reaction because I wonder how much access to data they had pre-closing of the deal because normally you get to do your due diligence you don't get to see all the inner ins and outs and all the mechanics of it so it does seem very knee-jerk i don't disagree that something needed to happen and the sheer quantity of staff they have seems a lot for a platform that you know famously hasn't progressed massively over time it's quite glacial in the new features and are you going to chase the people that post on the platform or are you going to chase the advertisers who's got the deeper pockets so it seems bizarre especially when you look at things like instagram and facebook and they make a huge amount of money out of advertisers and they don't need to charge their user base so it's it seems an interesting way to go and i think they could have possibly done both we're going to do stuff for the the posters and we're going to have a you know an income there which was already happening albeit quite low i think and we're also going to improve how we do ads on the platform but now you've ended up in the worst case where you're trying to charge the smaller amount in essence and you've also got the people that are going to spend big so very bizarre i think this could be handled a lot better definitely i mean probably worth diving into elod a little bit in the sense that he's obviously quite a successful businessman and he's not a self-made man he's the son of a diamond miner who left a fortune to him is my understanding and I don't want to trivialize it. There's a lot of people who love Elon and think that every single decision he makes is the best decision in the world. I think he's, it's probably more complicated than that. He's obviously got some very successful businesses, and just to name the ones I know of, Tesla is the most obvious. I drive a Tesla car. I don't necessarily... My, my, my opinion on, his, on my vehicle has very little to go on, on what he's like as a businessman, but it's a perfectly good vehicle. Lots of people think so. And I think if nothing else, he didn't start the company. He bought it off uh, some, some other people that you could attribute a lot of the success of the electric vehicle market to Tesla, be that Elon or be what that is. There's no doubt he makes a good electric vehicle. Some might say he jump-started the market. Loving the puns tonight. No, I agree, I agree with you. Look, I'm not a big fan of the Tesla style and I'm not a big fan of Elon, but without him, I probably wouldn't and the company be driving my electric car because I think they have forced others to get there and get there a lot quicker because they've demonstrated that actually the internal combustion engine is massively behind ele electric cars. And so that I think by getting it out there and making it a consumer product quite quickly and accessible, they have driven the rest of the market to catch up. And you can see it now, and it's really only been probably the last 18 months that electric cars have hit the other brands and are more, you know, A, available and B, out, just out on the roads, especially in the UK. So I don't disagree with that. I think some of the businesses he's involved with have done loads to really progress. And he clearly, and maybe he's, he's going to do this at Twitter, but he clearly doesn't let little trivial details get in the way and can make big change happen, just whether he does it in the right way. But maybe him not doing it in the right way means he gets the change done. Maybe, know. maybe. I mean, let's, let's quickly flick through his other businesses. So there's Tesla, there's Starlink, which is his, it's almost a disposable satellite business where you can have internet pretty much everywhere in the world from, from Starlink satellites. He's caused a little bit of controversy about this with providing, providing internet for Ukraine as well during the Ukrainian war that's going on at the moment. But, because one of his businesses, which is dependent on one of his other businesses, which is SpaceX, 
which has been phenomenally successful in, in terms of launching rockets into space successfully and in a reusable way. So I think there's no doubt there that SpaceX is good. And then probably the least well-known one is the Boring Company, which we're going to build tunnels between various cities in America and have Hyperloop transport between them. So the Boring Company we don't hear so much about, although they did make a flamethrower, I seem to recall. I was just going to say the flame th- fl- fl- the flame thrower was the only thing that I heard that they had produced. I think the tunnel, the sort of initial dig site, I'm pretty sure just it didn't it either collapsed or they gave up on it recently. I remember reading in the news fairly fairly recently. Anyway, a lot of business, the majority of which is successful. As with all successful businesses, how much of it is down to the CEO, and we could look at Apple as in, in this route as well. And how much of it is down to the immensely successful and creative engineers and and others that work at companies like this that make them the success they are. There's no way Elon was responsible for everything on my Tesla. There's no way Elon, you know, wrote the software that can make the, the SpaceX rockets land again. But he can presumably energize people or threaten people or whatever his management style is to get them to perform in such a way that he makes a, you know, a successful product comes from that company. I think it's fair to say. Maybe he's great at setting direction and, as you say, energizing people in massive air quotes and can do that and really get get people going on what was maybe deemed an impossible challenge. Without getting into litigation and things like that, he's had a couple of court cases as well that seem to have shown him in a particularly good light. I'm thinking of the cave survival thing, particularly with a British diver involved, which led to a court case in America where he referred to him in a... Not, not particularly good way, and the British diver sued him, and Elon won in court for whatever it was he was going to say. I won't rake over the calls for that. But it's it, he's obviously a divisive character, and whatever his management abilities, I think he thought he was going to come into Twitter and sort of clear the decks and get it sorted out, and within a couple of weeks it'll be up and running and making money, because that's kind of his approach. And I'm not sure that this is something he can grasp in the way that this isn't an engineering problem in the way that he's used to solving. Yeah, quite possibly. Maybe we need to let it play out. And look, I don't think I'd want to work for Elon, to be really honest. I don't think him and I would get on. I, Like you, I think I appreciate some of the things he's made happen one way or another, but I do wonder how he got there. It is interesting. Some people have posted online saying, I'm gutted I'm still employed by Twitter because I don't want to be anymore. I, you know, People want to be let go because of all the uncertainty of working for somebody like him. So you can see that too. And he's the only director of the company at the moment. There's no board. So it's, it's there's nobody else to vet his ideas or validate the board's got any sway other than him. So it's, it's going to be a very interesting time, I think. Definitely. I mean, it's interesting what you said about firing employees en masse within the UK because the only sort of thing I can think of that comes close to that is when P&O let all their people on the ships go. And that got swept under the coals, swept under the carpet as far as I'm aware. You know, they got to fire them, they employed agency staff instead. There was a huge outcry about it. But P&O didn't sort of receive any consequences for doing so. It appears not, and they are saying a lot of this is actually they're better off just to get on. Are they better off just to get on and do it and then just deal with the aftermath? So it's not right, is it? It's really not right. And with Worker unrest being certainly in the UK, which we can speak of at a particularly high level. You know, the, our nurses in the UK voted to strike fairly recently. The barristers have been on strike for a long time. There's been lots of rail strikes and all the rest of it. It, it, it feels a tipping point where, you know, workers' rights are continually being eroded in the interests of a few individuals or companies that can make large amounts of money. And personally, I don't feel that's right. That's more emotion they should bring to a podcast where we're talking about happy, cheery tech stuff, I'm sure. But it, it feels the balance has swung too far in the wrong direction to me. 
I'd agree with that. And look, I've, I work for a big corporate and we have done restructures in the past when we've acquired companies and we have a lot of effort and thought goes into doing it the right way. Make sure you do the right number of consultations, ask employees to come and discuss what, you know, how are we going to restructure the company? Whereas this is the polar opposite of that. And I will, will they be fine for it? Will there be any consequences? Will that take two years to come out? Who knows, I guess. And maybe it's the same with PNA. Mm, maybe. Anyway, what's the what's your conclusions on this? You said you lurk on Twitter, you don't post on Twitter. Are you going to stay on Twitter? I just use it as a news feed and I follow various people in the largely the tech space, bit of Formula One. I enjoy it for that. But I do wonder if people start leaving, am I still going to enjoy it? I don't know. I just it's just my news feed. It's, it's largely what I use it for. So I could probably live without it. Yeah, I feel a bit sad for the same reasons I was talking about why I got on Twitter in the first place. Is that is where you can find what people are actually thinking. And as long as you're careful who you follow, and you know we create who we follow in the same way that you do in any social media platform, that it's it's the people that make the platform. And if the people are still there, then you kind of stay on the platform. So one person I follow, we've mentioned him on the show a few times, Steve Trouton Smith. He's left Twitter. So. That's an immediate loss, I feel, that I was getting an inside view on Apple's programming and development, how difficult it was to do certain things. And he was very outspoken. So I feel a bit of a loss there. Almost everybody else is still there at the moment, but I think it's a watch this space for me. I'd agree with that. I think it is a watch this space. And Steve, Stephen, that you mentioned, he was always quite insightful on some of the stuff he'd find on new releases and betas. And, and I enjoyed following him. I hadn't realized he'd left. I'd obviously missed that. I don't actually follow that many people. I, I have quite a curated list because I just want the things I'm interested in and not a big tranche of stuff to go through. So I think I want to see how it plays out, but it's not a good, great start, I'll be brutally honest. Obviously, something had to happen at Twitter. They've been floundering for years, and they've only been profitable two out of 10 years, which makes you wonder how they've kept going for 12 years. So something had to happen. I don't disagree with that. No, I work for a business that's very much deemed we've got to be profitable every year. So I don't disagree something happened to happen. I think it could be better there are better ways of managing change than this. I think this is not an example. I'm worried, though, if companies see this and actually they don't get a rap on the knuckles, will other companies go this way? Should they be in dire consequences or have new ownership? So that would be my view. And I agree with you. It's it's worrying that there aren't the alternatives. So, you know, we've just spent a long time in this show talking about how Apple needs to let other app stores in potentially or Google or all the rest of it. But at least there is the Play Store and at least there is the App Store and they can be forced to do more. What is the alternative to Twitter? Facebook, mm, maybe. I'd say, I'd say they serve slightly different markets. So there isn't really. And the little things like Mastodon and, and other services that have come along, I don't think are a replacement for Twitter. You don't see BBC News or ITV News saying, and you can at us on whatever the Mastodon equivalent of this is. There isn't anything that has the immediacy of Twitter. I suspect that's why it was valued as much as it is. And I also suspect that's why it's still around in some way, shape, manner, or form. Because it scratched that itch that people have for the reasons you and I have talked about being on Twitter. So you can follow the Formula One people, as well as the tech influencers or whoever it is that you follow. That doesn't really exist. So Steve Trout and Smith leaving is a great example of, okay, great, that's somebody I respect and I'm interested in. Where's he gone? How you know if he's not going to talk on Twitter, is he going to be on one of these platforms? I don't know. So that's a bit of a shame, and that's a loss of an incisive voice because I don't think he does podcasts or anything either. So you know it, it, that kind of thing worries me. If you see these people going, where are they going, and how do we find out about what the next thing is? Yeah, no, I'd agree with that, and I use it as my curated news feed, which I do use a bit of Apple News for, I guess. 
and I could go back to RSS, but for me, it was just a way of, in a way, checking 10 websites because it would, I just have those websites in my feed and they'd go, oh, we've got a new article. You know, you might want to read it or Daring Fireball would post to it. So that's kind of how I use it for people and websites. And so I don't check lots of websites. I just check Twitter, which is a bit like RSS. So for me, it kind of replaced the need for RSS. I still use RSS and I should maybe make it my app of the week one week because NetNewsWire is a thing that I, I use increasingly, actually, going back to the old school way of, of getting stories and things like that. But it's not, it's rarely from people unless they've got a blog like Gruber has the Daring Fireball blog, you know, which those stories will appear in there. But, you know, I, I'm not going to be following Jason Snell particularly uh, from that, although I, get, I do follow Six Killers as a hams. But it's quite interesting his thought on a science fiction show or something like that rather than what he's talking about Apple. And you only get that sort of personal opinion for something like twitter so it, it, it does worry me I, I want there to be something like twitter continue to exist i just worry elon is going to take it in a direction where people will tip leave go and then you know we are we're stuck and for me i don't think i get tiktok i don't think any of the people i follow on twitter are going to end up on tiktok or snapchat or one of the things that my daughters do so it, it, it does make me feel slightly uncomfortable the sort of churn for want of a better word that's going on there Agreed. And as you said, that, like with somebody like Jason Snell, whilst not a celebrity on TV, is kind of a celebrity in, in the tech space, but Twitter made him accessible. So you could follow him and see some of his thoughts and he could post out into the ether and people can contact him if they want to directly. He may or may not respond or repost or retweet or whatever it may be. But that's what Twitter did. It was that making people accessible, I think. So I think we need to see how it plays out. But Twitter did end up a bit like a public service in a way, and it's now been taken not public. And yeah, I don't know. Is it is it a megalomaniac ended up buying it and it's just going to turn it into its own thing? So I think it's too soon to tell. And I think we just need to just let everything play out a little bit. But so far, I'm not happy about it. And part of my head's thinking, actually, could I drop it and would be one less thing that I need in my life? Because I've got news over here and I could do RSS over there for the other piece of it. Quite possibly. I've just fired up my Twitter profile to see I'm at G5Maniac on Twitter, uh, if anybody's looking for me, but I may not be there much longer. I joined May 2007. I have 793 followers and I follow 319, so I have a bit of a presence there and it's a bit of a shame to let, you know, since 2007 go in many ways, but such is life, I guess. Platforms move on and, you know, we've said it. Let's wait and see what happens, but I'm not encouraged by the way that it's going at the moment. No, agreed. Good. Have we got anything else for the main show? The only, th the only thing I was going to pick up on, and apologies, my iPad may have just crashed while we were recording. The joys of running, betas. I am running the beta, but it does give me extended monitor support. But the only thing I, I just briefly put in the show notes was just black, about Black Friday, because it's obviously coming up. I have no idea when it is, if I'm brutally honest, but sometimes it's a good time to pick up some things in, in sales. And so I was wondering, is there anything that either of us are looking for in the Black Friday sale, I have usually a little bookmarks folder and I save links to Amazon on it of things I want to purchase. So, so why don't I go first? I've just got a couple of things I'm after. And large accessories, things that I will buy for myself that I might not ask for for Christmas or I might just text my wife a link and say, can you get me one of these for Christmas? It's a really good price right now. So I've put in there, I wouldn't mind to try the Eve home stuff. So I've got a lot of their plugs, but I don't have a matter one. And I was thinking, actually, I might buy a matter plug 
just to compare it to the non-matter ones to see actually are they any better and should i think about swapping them out over time they're usually quite expensive they're usually around 20 odd pounds so i was looking at that or maybe i'll get a different branded one so, so that's something i wouldn't mind just to try out is the thread plugs better than the non-thread ones so let me see how that goes i do want another MagSafe charger about 40 pounds at the moment in the uk can i pick one up i've paid 26 pounds for one in the past so can i can i get one at massively cheaper i'm also after some airpods pro 2 as we've discussed and i'm keen to see whether i can pick up any aero pros cheap amazon are very good at usually discounting their own stuff for black friday so that's the four things i've put on my list that i'm just just keeping an eye on seeing if they hit hit price and i'm willing to pay fair enough it's actually a bit of real-time follow-up so the first thing is that black friday is the 25th of november so we've got a couple of weeks to go before black friday is due based on an american holiday after thanksgiving typically there's black friday and then the cyber monday which is cyber monday you tend to get more of your electronics things cheaper than you do on black friday black friday is normally more for clothes and things like that so you'd go down to macy's and get your bits and pieces real real time follow-up for me Black Friday is also payday. Very coincidental that, but could be convenient. <laughs> That's very lucky. I will talk about my thing in a minute. The other thing I want to, I meant to put it in the, the, the top of the show actually, is that I was talking last week about my Philips Hue Bridge. Philips have officially said as of two days ago that it will support Matter. So all of my light bulbs will be supporting Matter at the point they push the software update. So that's good. For me, if there was a cheaper MagSafe charger, I might be interested in that. I think I quite like the couple I've got in the car at the moment. I think having a couple dotted around the house might be a good thing. We'll see. I'm not that sold. I've got enough lightning plugs around the place that I suppose as we move towards our great USB-C ding, 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 ding future, then maybe I really have to get a sound effect for that. We, I, it may be more useful to actually have the, the MagSafe chargers for the phones than when it was funny when you put MagSafe in, the first thing I thought about was the one for the laptops rather than the one that's on the phone. So that just shows the difference or where we come from with these things. Yeah, I don't have a laptop, so I guess that's why. Yeah, I've I, I it, my laptop came with a lovely braided cable, cable MagSafe connector for my Mac. I've never even plugged it in. I don't know if it works. Oh, really? The braided cables are very nice. It's a nice cable, but I've got USB-C to my monitor. Why would I want to plug that in? Yeah, I do wonder that whether I'd ever use MagSafe if I had it, because I've got USB-C everywhere. Yeah, and you know, my laptop sits in a little stand next to my monitor here, and the same in work, actually. So it, I plug it in USB-C to the monitor, and that's that. It's it's not a thing I think about. I carried it all the way to Amsterdam and back, and didn't st- still didn't plug it in. So, you know. Wow. I know, what are you going to say? So that was that. The only thing I'm vaguely thinking that I'm looking for at come Cyber Monday or Black Friday is I've got this vague interest in wondering if I buy new Sonos speakers, particularly the 1SL is what I'm thinking about, as rear surrounds for my living room to go on my soundbar. Would they work? I don't know. But if you listen to ATP, Casey was talking about this recently. I can't remember which rears he had. I think Sonos's website will tell you. Yeah, no, because they all seem to presuppose you've got a sub. I don't want a sub. They're very expensive. I want to know if they'll work without the sub. Surely if I've got the sound bar, will the surrounds work? So that's what I've got in the back of my head as a potential option. It's quite a cool cool thing to buy. I'd have said, yes, it would work because I don't think the sub is any kind of hub. I do agree with you, they're very expensive. So my gut says yes, and my other gut says, well, you should just buy them and find out as your homework. Well, oh, thanks for that. That's this year if you're putting that one on me. I will say, it wouldn't be money wasted because I think Sonos make extremely good speakers. I was a bit irked 
about the fact that the older Play 3 and Play 5 that I've got are more or less end of life. They did roll it back a little bit, but the app that supports them is like the Play 1 app that they won't go there. But they do sound fantastic. They work extremely well. I used to have it set up in my, and I forget the name of the software, it's like, it's like Homebridge or something like that. I could actually get AirPlay 1 to work with them, which they were never designed to work with, and it actually worked really well as sort of a software server sitting in the background. The new ones all support AirPlay 2. The Sonos ones that I'm talking about come in two flavors. There's the Sonos 1 and the Sonos 1 SL. The Sonos One has a speaker built into it, a microphone built into it, so you can summon Alexa or similar to that to get it to play things, but I don't want it to do that. I just want it to play through the app or airplay to it. So even if they didn't work as rear surround speakers, I could still redeploy them around the house and have nice speakers that didn't require microphones or Google or Alexa on them that I'd have decent audio on. No, that makes sense. But you can get a sub mini, which is only, and I say only, £429. That is a huge amount of money for a subwoofer. Yeah, I've no idea what I paid for mine. I, I don't have any Sonos anymore. I used to have Sonos, actually. I kind of went off it a little bit. I used to have a Play 5 and a couple of Play 3s. I, it was fantastic equipment, definitely, but was always a premium. So I can see, see your concerns there. The sub Gen 3, apparently £750. So um, makes the Mini actually quite cheap in comparison by about £300. So you never know, it might be on sale too. It does. But the one I'm looking at is the two-room set with one SL for £340. So that's two speakers, which I could then break apart and use as individual ones if I wanted. Their room-filling sound even is one. So it's, it's what I'm thinking about. I think if I can find them a little bit cheaper than that, then I might you know, I might go all in for Black Friday or Cyber Monday. That's my only thing. Yeah, no, I can I can see you see you thinking that, and like I say, you've got something far more exciting on your Black Friday list than me. Maybe I need to up up, up my game a little bit. Up your game, Chris. I don't. There's just not much I want. I'm in a good place. I have spent a small fortune over the years, so maybe, maybe that's actually paying off now. Just at the tail end of the show, I walked into an Apple store earlier this week and I got my first experience of the Apple Watch Ultra. It's both bigger than I thought and lighter than I thought it would be. I meant to ask you about this because you did text me about this. Yeah, so, so I would agree with that, those statements. It's big, but lighter. I, I love it, by the way. I'm, I'm still, how we now, a month in or something? And I think it's fantastic. I don't regret the purchase. One iota, I love it. And the screen, what do you think of the screen? Very nice. I mean, it is. it looks noticeably bigger than the one on my watch. And I, I you can play with them quite well in the Apple Store. So I had it right next to my watch. It's only a couple of mils bigger, but you do feel that difference, I think. It, it, I don't know if it's just because it's flat, but there's, there's something sort of quite compelling about the screen, I will say. Compelling is a good word, I would say. And as soon as I put it on, I thought exactly the same. I thought, wow, this looks massive, even though it's only a little bit bigger. And I think the flatness massively helps it. So um, I'm, I'm pleased you like it. And do, do you know what, actually, I meant to say, my wife, who's been an avid smaller watch wearer, has taken my previous 44 mil apple watch and it goes actually the size is much better i really prefer a bigger screen so i wonder whether we're kind of like with the phones whether the, the watch is coming of an age where where people do want the bigger screen because you want to do more with it yeah i think you're right good also the apple studio display is very very nice i must say in person it's a nice screen it's stunning i love it i whilst i spent a small fortune on it i don't regret spending a small fortune on it i'm using it right now it's beautiful it's crisp i don't use the camera the speakers are very good what gets me though every time i go in the apple store i look at the apple studio display and think oh, it's, it's nice that and then i look over at the imac and go how is it thicker than an imac that's got a whole computer inside it that's i still don't understand what's inside this thing but it is it's a stunning display, if not a little little chunky around the sides. But I love it, and I think it's a great product for, for the... I think it's £1,500 in the UK. I'd buy another one if I could to go in the house. 
Yeah, it's very nice. I was I was impressed. It did give me a little bit of product envy. I got to say. So, so any of these products going on your Christmas list? No, nope, I'm going to stand true this year. I'm not going to get one for any of those for the house. I'll, I'll stick with the one SL. I think in these times of economic hardship and all the rest of it, I'll show a bit of. It's very good of you. I'll try. We'll see how we get on with that. You make me feel bad now because I haven't shown any economic restraint. That's all right. It's a capitalist culture. You're actually helping by spending money. That's how I see it. <laughs> I like it. Okay. Apps of the week. I think you've got one this week. Do you want to go first? I just had a small one. One that I haven't used yet, but I was listening to a podcast. So I listened to a podcast called Launched, which is about people launching apps and updates and what have you. It's the, it's, the host is the person who, who writes the app Dark Noise, which I've never used. It's a white noise app. But anyway, it's, it's quite interesting. And this week he had on there a gentleman who writes the app Food Noms. And it's at foodnoms.com. And it's an app that you can use for logging food that you've consumed. And I just found it, A, a really good podcast. And B, the app was quite interesting because my wife recently started tracking food. She doesn't use this app, but she's using a different one. It was just interesting to hear how the developer does the app, how he looks after it. He does it in his spare time. They use the community to source all the, I guess, the food that you can search for and things. So it's a community database in it. I saw it's a really good podcast. I've quite enjoyed this this the series. There haven't been many on there, but I think they've re he's relaunched launched podcast, if that makes sense. And it was just really good guess. And the app looks really nice and well written. So I just downloaded it to have a look at it for free. And it does lots of things like you can track food and you can track water intake and things with it. But very nice design language used on it, very modern. And I just thought I'd give it a mention. And it's on the Mac App Store as well. I would have had no idea if you didn't say that. But that makes sense because if it's room for iOS, I guess they can use Catalyst to bring it to the Mac. Yeah, it does look, it looks quite well written. Well, quite well designed is what I should say. I don't know about well written for the moment. And yeah, it installed in seconds on my Mac. I will have a quick look, quick look at it. I know these calorie counting things is obviously a worry in privacy with them. Where's the data going? What are you eating? Where's it going? Does it go to your insurance company or something like that? And then they stand or fall by how good the database within them is. So if you've bought Sainsbury's ready meal lasagna or something like that, is that going to be in there? So does it scan the QR code? Can it pull that off a database? Doesn't know what's in there. So without having tried it, I can't speak to that, but maybe you can give us a little bit of feedback from your wife at some point. Yeah, well, she's quite happy with the one she's got. Forgive me, I can't remember all it is, but I, I might give it a go. I was going to have a look at it because I've been quite interested in what she's been doing with, with counting calories. So yeah, I just, just thought it was interesting because I have used my fitness pan in the past to count food, which was it did the job, but it was never a nice experience. If you know what I mean, you were, I was just using it because it was free, if I'm, if I'm really honest, but I never enjoyed it. And this one looks quite good and the subscription pricing look, looks very reasonable. I'm amused that it's asked me what my weight is in stone. Does it know I'm in the UK and I'm likely to do that in stone? It's probably localization settings. But it's got height in centimeters. Oh, then I don't know. That, that's quite, I'm quite impressed with that. That's quite clever. Anyway, I'll dig away, dig away at that another time. No, it looks good. Good recommendation. I have two this week, just because I've been more impressed with one than I expected to be, and the other one's just a really helpful utility. So they're both Mac apps. Links in the show notes as usual. The first one is called Latest. It's very simple. It's a, a GitHub app. And what it does is it up just looks on across your Mac for any apps that you've got installed, Play Store or uh, sorry uh, Apple Store or not Apple Store and tells you there's an update for them. So if Zoom's sitting there waiting for an update or Xcode or a Pixelmator Pro on the App Store, it will find it. It will tell you an update, but that's easy enough on the App Store. But for those apps that don't live in the App Store, of which there are increasingly many, like Obsidian or something like that, in my case, it'll tell you there's an update. You can click a button. It'll download it, update it. Done. Very simple. Very straightforward. Great little app. That's quite cool actually because I did fight my wife's Mac the other day 
just to update everything on it and actually that that'd be super helpful because i thought i'd just just give it a you know a little bit of a sprinkly make sure it's backed up update all the apps you know when he did the office apps teams teams is always a nightmare to update because it just tells you i'm going to go off and check are you doing anything so now it looks good yep very impressed with that and the second one which is a little more complicated is raycast now i've said on this podcast before in fact i've recommended on this podcast before that people should use alfred which is like a spotlight replacement on steroids. I use the paid version of it, so I get all sorts of extras, like, for example, the text expansions, so you can type in a snippet of text, and it'll do that. So you, I can put underscore sig, and it'll put my whole email signature and stuff like that for working it. You can, it's got integration with workflows, so it can go into one password and all sorts of things like that. There is an alternative. There's a number of alternatives, actually, but one I hadn't tried was called Raycast. Link in the show notes again. Uh, Raycast is amazingly good. It's actually so good in its free version that... I think I'll be recommending that now to people rather than Alfred. It's slightly less compelling for me because I have got the paid version of Alfred and I do get these things, but in its free incarnation, Raycast does all these paid for things that Alfred did. And more than that, it has a, an app store, they're all free, an extension store, I should maybe call it, that integrates with lots and lots of apps, not just a couple that are blessed by the Alfred developers. So for example, it has a window manager built in. You can put in a couple of keyboard shortcuts once it's invoked, Say, move this to the top right corner of the screen, and it will. Or add this note to Obsidian, or whatever, and it's got better calculator built into it. So, for example, you can just type to it, seven weeks from today, and it'll give you the exact day of what's going on. So the conversions, the searching, the app launching, the file searching, the text the snippet expansion, clipboard history, all built into it. Really impressive. It does look really good, actually. And when I saw the word store on it, I thought the same as you. What, what, what do you mean store? It just looks like a bunch of extensions. It's a bit of a shame they've called it store. Unless they call it store because they're going to charge for things in the future, I guess. But yeah, like you, I thought it just seemed an odd name for something that is largely extensions. It looks really good. If I used a Mac, I'd try it out. I would love to have something like this on my iPad. It's it's really good. It, to the extent that I think I might disable Alfred for a little bit and stick with it because I've been so impressed with it. And there are a lot of extensions. There's 67 pages of extensions. It's hugely integrated with the operating system. So if if you want to, you know, you can manage your windows with it. You can manage your passwords with the clipboard industry and snippets thing is fantastic. The conversion thing is helpful. Really impressive. Yeah, it looks really good. I think that's the show. Call it a show. Good show this week. And uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It was good. So if anybody's out there and you want us to do anything, just drop us an email at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com. Or for the moment, you can reach out on Twitter, WFS underscore podcast, whilst we're still there. And we may be there forever. You just don't know. I think rather than any of us rush, let's just see how it all pans out. We'll see. Maybe next week on Mastodon. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rod. Have a good one.